Uh, and this story comes in a section of stories where Jesus seems uh, intent on confounding his disciples. He comes across as a bit of an extreme character here. And uh, we often like to soften Jesus. We like a more comfortable Jesus. But these stories are very hard-hitting and these sayings in particular are very hard-hitting. When we think of a place to rest our head, I've, I found this on the internet, but, and it's a, love, it's a kind of loving couple situation, but the place to rest your head is a place where you're safe and at home, the place where you're held, where you can return to and you know you're going to be okay. Uh, the Samaritan village story at the start of this little passage is an immediate example that Jesus moves around from place to place as one who's quite vulnerable. He doesn't have a regular place to stay. He doesn't seem to have a regular income. He doesn't have somebody in particular making his evening meal every night. He doesn't return to a home situation. He doesn't have a household infrastructure, if you like. No one person sees Jesus all the time in the evening, or maybe his disciples, but... uh, He puts his head down somewhere every night, but he doesn't have a place to do that. It's not one place. So he's an itinerant in that sense and very vulnerable as a result. And so there's a literal meaning here. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. And then there's a deeper meaning as well. Because in one sense, Jesus is not at home in this world's power structures. The way this world operates and functions is at odds with the way Jesus operates and functions. And this becomes crystal clear in the days, or in the last day in fact, as Jesus faced his own lynching, what was effectively a lynching up on the cross, his government had no place for him even though he was innocent. His religion had no place for him even though he was righteous. His society had no place for him even though he only ever did good and cared for people. His local community seemed to have no place for him. They were jealous about miracles he did in other places. His followers didn't know what to do with him and in their confusion they fled and even his closest friends did that. Jesus truly has no place to rest his head. No place that is absolutely safe like that. Are you sure you want to follow that guy? <laughs> Thank you, Jen. A little bit of honesty there. <laughs> I mean, is that how you imagine your own life playing out, having no place to rest your head? Do you really want to be counted with that man? And this was not a hypothesis for Jesus. This wasn't some kind of vision or or story that he was casting. This was his life. This is how he actually lived and died. And that's what he calls us to follow. Do you hear the confrontational nature of that? Like confrontational with what we kind of want? It's very, very confronting. And it's not hyperbole. There's no exaggeration in it. If we identify with the rejected one, we should anticipate our own experience of rejection somewhere along the way. And Jesus makes that clear 
as well. We will only choose this way if we want what Jesus offers more than we want the acceptance that the crowd offers. That's the only reason we would choose to follow Jesus. We want what he offers us more than we want acceptance by the crowd. So Jesus really nails that first inquirer. But it gets worse. It gets worse. How's this guy that says, let me, I'm going to follow you, but let me bury my father. Let me, yeah, bury my father. And just understand the cultural situation here. His father probably wasn't dead. It wasn't like, in two days we're having the funeral, could you just wait a moment? It was probably more a case of um, the younger generation have responsibility for the older generation. When I've fulfilled that responsibility and my, my dad is dead, then I can come and do the things that you're calling me to do. But, you know, I have a responsibility here. I'm a bit caught. Sorry about that. Um, now, this is the only social security system that operates in the ancient Near East. Families look after each other. So it's a quite an important one. And there's nothing else going on in that regard. What's wrong with looking after your parents? I mean, Jesus responds and says, let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, that's like whack, whack, you know? It's really very harsh. And what do we make of this? Because the Ten Commandments says, honour your father and your mother. This is a confronting and heretical statement, it seems. Is he deliberately trying to offend? But if we take the the kind of broader context, we see that in other places, Jesus spoke against the Pharisees when they were teaching anything you've got, you should give it to God. And he says, but some of those people have responsibilities to their parents and you're telling them to give all the money to the temple treasury and they're dishonouring their parents. How can they fulfil the commandments of honouring their parents? So, that seems to be at odds with this saying. There's competing values going on there, it would see. And at first glance, that's what it looks like. But if you look at the function of these activities and their, their intent, I think that's the clue. So when you've got Pharisees saying, give all your money to the church, like I did a moment ago when we took up the offering, um, then what's that about? People trying to secure their own sense of salvation? Is it they're being manipulated by the religious system of the day where God has clearly said you have a responsibility to honour your father and your mother? So there's an intent there about that activity and Jesus rebuking people for manipulating those who knew not as much as them. Does that make sense? So he's rebuking the Pharisees because they're manipulating the people to get the money and da-da-da. Here, it's different. What is the intended outcome of the person who says, let me first bury my father? Is he wanting to take responsibility or is he seeking to avoid responsibility? I mean, in one sense we don't get enough detail to be decisive about this, but my sense is that it was an excuse. I know you're calling me Jesus, but actually I feel more comfortable over here doing the thing that the culture expects fulfilling those things that everybody else is doing, that's my safe zone, I'll do that instead. And Jesus is challenging that by really nailing it and says, no, those who are interested in 
the stuff of death. Let them look after themselves. You're on a path of life, unless you're not, in which case you're one of them, as it were. (laughs) So are you accepting responsibility or avoiding it? Are you doing that which is love or that which is safe? These are the sorts of questions that I think Jesus is trying to tease out in this interaction. For Jesus, the dead are those who seek to save their own life and end up losing it. It's only those who are prepared to give their life who find it. And the dead have plenty of friends. The last one, again, is uh, one of these really sharp sayings as well. I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Seems like such a small request. Let me just, is it toodaloo or is it have the big party? I don't know. Farewell seems very reasonable. This could be a, a, a rite of passage or something as a person is leaving their home and going off on new adventures. I mean, we have 21st celebrations or now 18th celebrations or both kind of should be a 45th celebration because that's when people generally leave home. But uh, Why does Jesus get so confrontational at this moment? And I think he's actually drawing out uh, something about where you place your true values. Because when you look back and see that as home, that's where you belong, right? Home is where you belong. And I think Jesus knows that at some point you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to go that way or this way? In all sorts of subtle and not so subtle ways, every day we make that choice. Looking back is the move of one harbouring regrets, of longing to be in another place. If you regret the kingdom then you clearly don't get the kingdom in that sense. Where is your primary place of identification? Are you simply someone who is away from home or are you someone who's becoming at home with the one who has no home? They're very different places. I'll follow you but. (laughs) It's another way of saying I won't follow you. I'll follow you on my own terms, which is another way of saying I won't follow you. See, Jesus really is all about the fullness of life and those who seek life don't want to say goodbye to others. They want to invite them on the journey with them. Don't say goodbye to those at home. Say, come on, come with us, come on this journey with us. Saying goodbye is either writing them off or simply not understanding the nature of Jesus' call. Saying goodbye signals a belief that those who aren't going on this journey have made an equally good decision. And Jesus wants to say, no, it's not. This is quite confronting. Yes, this is the dead burying their own dead. These are zombies. Okay, so you see, remember the undead? And there is a sense in which the whole world operates like this so much of the time. You know, disengaged electorates, 
people going to jobs they don't like, even families where you're so tired you just keep going through the motions. You know, we, we are so often the zombies. But Jesus calls us into life, calls us into engagement, calls us into awareness, calls us into confrontation with those things we'd be more comfortable just keeping out of the picture. And there'll always be people like this. The crowd always exists. But for those who are coming into life, that's a really important journey. So the thing about the plough, of course, is if you start ploughing and you look away, you start going around in circles. And so this was actually a, um, like a, a, a wisdom saying of the day. Jesus didn't make it up. If you put your hand to the plough and turn back, that's another way of saying you're not focused on what you're doing, you're not really going in that direction, your, your heart and your mind is somewhere else. So that's why Jesus picks up that saying and uses it there. The acidic nature of these sayings really burn through the common superficial Christian veneer of Western culture. Sometimes we think just by living in a so-called Christian country where Christians or going along to a Christian church we're Christians. We want to follow Jesus as long as we can be pretty much like everyone else, perhaps a bit nicer, maybe a bit more moral. In reality, Jesus isn't that nice. He's very, very confronting. He calls it like he sees it and teases out the issues. Jesus actually calls us to confront ourselves, to own who we are, and to freely choose to let go of that which is not life. In a sense, to die, that we might find life. And in a culture that holds appearances and comfort as highest values, this is a very confronting word. But it is the only way to the deepest, fullest, richest life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you didn't pussyfoot around the things that you thought were important. Thank you that you spoke so clearly that we sometimes want to run from that clarity, but it echoes in our hearts. Call us forth into the fullness of the life you promise, we pray in your precious name. Amen.